saying how much they want a strong woman. What they really want is a cheerleader. I'd like someone who's physically very frail and won't stop talking. I just want what everybody wants. I seem to have a harder time getting it. Well, hello there. It's Maximum Film episode 304. My name is Alonzo Duraldi. I am your host this week. If he is... Who even knows? But uh, nonetheless, we have a very exciting show for you with uh, some wonderful folks, starting, of course, with uh, our regularly scheduled Queen of the Midwest, uh, Super Film Festival producer and programmer, Drea Clark. What's good? That's me! Okay, mine is simple, and it's been too long since I had a skincare recommendation, oh, please, discussion. Please. I do. The sun think is it's out. A, yeah, I really think it's integral just to my identity, sense of self, to just interject those periodically. And I'm currently super obsessed. I got a, I always have a face mist because as you know, I like to treat my face like it is the produce section of a real bougie supermarket, <laughs> just, just a regular misting. And I found one um, and it's uh, rose water and glycerin. And I'm not someone who's typically drawn to the smell of roses, rose water. I love this stuff. I'm misting constantly. I missed before I put the moisturizer. Is this a Mario Badescu? No, it is a heritage store. I don't know it what is, that is. It sounds very fancy. <laughs> it is not. It's cheap as shit. I mean, it's cheap. It's it's budget friendly. How's that? Reasonably um, priced, I believe. Vegan, cruelty-free, free of dyes and alcohol. You guys, I'm addicted to it. I, I, I'm whipping through this huge-ass bottle of rose water and glycerin, never felt dewier, constant glow. Um, In the same way that yeah. I yes ended your your healthy fresh mm. strawberries into a delicious strawberry donut. Sh- sure, yes, uh, yes. Have you had the rose water ice cream at Mashti Malone's? <laughs> I have not. It See, is, that doesn't sound good. Is it good? It is good. I didn't think I would like it either. But it, it, it's like if you've ever had a lavender ice cream, like sometimes those aromatic herbs. Uh, yeah, you can make a really yummy ice cream out of it, so, which this is. I never, I never gravitate towards those, and whenever I see them, all I think of is when I watch Great British Bake Off and everything they make looks terrible. Like, I love the show, but I'm like, what are you doing to that pastry or whatever? And it's because they always are introducing something. And every time, Prue's like, oh, you really need to use a light hand with the rose. Oh, Basically, because no, they're like, do, I don't want to taste it. But no, but at Mashi Malone, they know what they're okay. doing. And uh, yes, it, 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 look, it's, it, nowhere else is my first choice going to be, oh, guess the rose water, please. But it's really good there. So I okay, would, I do, I and I like this that. as a a theme of yours to yes. take what I have. Um, There's nothing so healthy you... that you can bring up that yes. I can't turn it into a dessert. It's what a skill. Saying here, <laughs> it's basically. A skill. Yes. Uh, also, a, a super knowledgeable about healthcare, obviously, since she couldn't stop from chiming into the conversation. But more importantly, the television critic for the Skin New Yorker. Care. And what did I say? Healthcare. Oh, sorry. Yeah, nobody knows about healthcare. Skincare, absolutely. <laughs> the TV critic for the New Yorker and a long-standing dear, dear friend of Maximum Film. We're so thrilled to have her back. Please welcome Ingu Kang in the house. Hoo-dee-hoo. Ingu, Hello. what's good? Uh, you know what is good? Literary scammers. Like that's what's good. <laughs> um, I already told Dre about this, but I'm yeah. gonna tell her all about it anyway. The New Yorker, and I'm not just being like a company gal here, published recently a story called, Did This Writer Actually Know Tennessee Williams? (laughs) And the 
If you know the rule about headlines in media, the answer is almost always no. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> this guy, uh, Jim Grissom, I think is his name, yeah. wrote a 400-page book that is probably like a self-insert fan fiction about Tennessee Williams and the supposedly like hundreds of actresses that he also interviewed about Williams and it's supposed to be the writer when he's like a lost 20 year old college student and Williams like a few months before he dies you can sort of like almost see like a biopic here right as like this like drunken Williams who is like a faded lion of the theater it like fades away the thing I love about literary scammers is that like there's just like no proportionality to this whatsoever. Yeah. You put in years of work to impress maybe dozens of people. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, what is the point? But the thing that I love is that it's so stupid and yet so grandiose at the same time. Yeah. And basically, uh, this piece lays out the case and then also contacts the writer. And when she asks if he he will like reveal the corroborating documents he says no and it, she says like why not and he says well you know i have a penis but i don't show it to everyone so just because you're asking to see my documents doesn't mean i have to show them to you which <laughs> nothing if that but logic. Is not <laughs> nothing but logic <laughs> mm. did she then ask to see his penis just to like she's try like and, you know, get so a clean sweep uh, here? Yeah. I believe they were on the phone, Uh, unfortunately or fortunately. But (laughs) it's a very, yeah, I don't know, man. Literary scammers. There's so many of them. I think, Drea, you need to to option this and turn it into um, Can You Ever Forgive Me Too? Okay, a a movie I brought up when Ingu and I were discussing this article, which I read on her recommendation and also enjoyed. But you know what, Alonzo, my takeaway from this article is I don't have to option it. I can just say I had a conversation (laughs) with this man about everything that he wrote. (laughs) And if they ask to see your documentation. I'll ask if they want to see my vagina. Yeah. (laughs) Tit for tat, as they say, Alonzo, in the literary world. Yeah. Alonzo, what is good with you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. So I just found out that uh, Jenny's ice cream is doing a limited time flavor that is based on the frosted brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tart. And there is not much on this world that I love the way that I love a brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tart. So I am going to be trying to, we we have a location in LA, it's over in like Silver Lake. Uh, I gotta check this out because it's a limited time thing. Um, But in the meantime, at my local grocery store, I did pick up the brown butter almond brittle. Four magic words that are even better together. It is a buttercream ice cream. Oh. With brown butter almond candy crushed into it. Mm. Oh, man. I'm telling you, you will sail away. I did not know that Alonzo describing ice cream was going to work for me on such a primal On a a sea of flavors (laughs) and adjectives, you know? Uh, it's, It's really, I have been... I've been hitting a lot, you know, look, the weather is warming up like I need an excuse. I've been trying a lot of 
great flavors lately. You know, McConnell's has a really good uh, toasted coconut almond chip. But uh, this Jenny's brown butter almond brittle is next level. And I cannot wait to get my hands on that uh, frosted brown sugar cinnamon. That is that's, that's like, what she said. I think yeah. I'm even more excited about that than the imminent release of Barbie. If, that's, if such a thing is possible. <laughs> I love it. Uh, please send us photographic proof when you do connect with this mystery, uh, exciting ice cream. It would be my honor, and uh, yeah, no, believe me. Once if that once it happens, I won't be shutting up about it. <laughs> uh, so that's what's happening in my present life. But today we're delving into past lives. Thank you very much. Ooh, yeah, very nice. I, there we go. I you know if if he's out here, in somebody's your face, got iffy. somebody's got a segue. <laughs> Uh, and later we'll be talking about outdated technology that we love to see in movies. But first, it's time for Itadick, our movie news segment, where we go over the headlines of the week and ask ourselves those potent questions. Is this important? Do I care? Kick us off, Drea. All right. Turner Classic Movies was in the headlines last week, and it got a little complicated. First, news broke that the staff of TCM was being cut from 90 people to 20. Then Deadline published a story about directors Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, and Paul Thomas Anderson scheduling a special call with David Zasloff to defend the importance of the network. And then those directors released a statement saying, in fact, Zasloff had called them and that they felt, quote, heartened and encouraged by the conversations we've had thus far, and we are committed to working together to ensure the continuation of this cultural touchstone that we all treasure. Please know I'm making a wanking motion with my hand while I read that. <laughs> Is this important? Do you care? Well, I have thoughts, but I think Ingu is a little more of a TV insider than anyone oh, no. else here. I was so dreading you asking me. <laughs> I have never seen TCM. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. So, oldest proclamation. Can oh. I say this is important, but I don't personally care. Oh. Here's the like thing. It's come yes. really often. Sorry. Sorry. Let me say. Let me just yes. say. Sure, 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 yeah. I am a spoiled little brat, and I cannot <laughs> abide by watching commercials interrupting anything that I watch anymore. There are no commercials on TCM. Oh, well, see, oh, this is snap. how much I know about TCM. <laughs> now, see, she just proved, proved her bona fides that she, in fact, has never has seen never it. Has never seen it, clearly, <laughs> or she would not have walked into that yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, there many, you go. I have many thoughts about this, um, partially because I am currently writing a book under the TCM aegis that is coming out next year, and I certainly hope that they're here next year when it comes out. Um, I, I love TCM. I think it's great. I think they do important work not just as a broadcaster but uh the stuff that they do you know in the realm of uh of preservation and archiving the 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 the, the, the sort of forgotten films of the past that they've dug up that are by you know women filmmakers and people of color and queer filmmakers and international filmmakers um and you know they have always been a reasonably profitable, but never a barn burning, you know, uh, uh, division of Warner Brothers. And I worry, frankly, that Zaslov is a complete, you know, monstrous hedge fund prick who just wants to, like, chop up this historical studio and sell it for parts. And, you know, I I'm glad that he had the conversation with Scorsese and Spielberg and Anderson, but, like, you know, there, there's not a lot of, like, bottom line appeal for something like TCM. It, it, it exists in more of a, an indefined space, 
part of which is just that I think it it's part of what makes Warner Brothers an attractive place for auteurs to be. You know, it was Kubrick's studio. It's been Eastwood's studio. It was Christopher Nolan's studio, but he decided to go to Universal where I guess he thought they were going to treat him, you know, better. And so I think that having something like TCM around, even if it isn't like filling the shareholders' coffers, does, you know, kind of provide this thing of like, we care about our history, we care about movies, not every single thing we do is going to be profit-driven. And if we can make this work now under someone for whom clearly everything is very profit-driven, that would be nice. I, I hope that it happens. However, as somebody who did a lot of work for Filmstruck, uh, I feel like I've been here before, and so um, I'm a little trepidatious, but always optimistic. Dave Zaslav has to get rid of a billion dollars of debt. Yeah. You know, that is his job. But it also feels like for TCM to run even at a loss, it must be peanuts, like exactly. crumbles of peanuts. Uh, and I don't really know how much of that is like really going to make an, a dent in that billion dollars. Like, dude, just, it's so easy here to do the right thing. Right, it's like how we trim our education uh, budgets every year. And instead of touching defense. Yeah, weird, weird that it would just be a drop in the budget for like the NEA or whatever, and everyone gets all wanked up about it. Um, I totally agree with you guys on both points. I think Zaslav's entire thing is uh, piecemealing this out to get rid of debt. Um, which absolutely sucks. But I also think that although TCM itself is not like a huge profit generator, the only reason and the reason that this, my reading of this story would be like, I do think this is important that these dudes uh, like answered the call um, is because A, I think that guy's a star fucker. Like I think most executives are. And B, the if there is a soft money to it in the sense of, filmmakers they could lure back like they lost Christopher Nolan exactly for reasons that that are are other uh, policies that Warner Brothers put in play like about uh, theatrical exactly about exhibition about all of those things and so if you're going to be like okay well our whole thing is wanting to entice these big money filmmakers well those are big money filmmakers so great Art and commerce, isn't it fun? (laughs) They don't call it show art. Uh, Speaking of movies, I was delighted to hear that some Paddington 3 casting has been announced. Uh, Several stars are reportedly boarding uh, Dougal Wilson's new Paddington 3-quel. Antonio Banderas and Rachel Zegler will play a father-daughter riverboating duo. Olivia Colman will play a nun and a home for retired bears. And Emily Mortimer is taking over the role of Paddington's foster mother, Mrs. Brown, from Sally Hawkins. Any casting news is probably good news at this point because the movie is set to start shooting in just a few weeks. Is this important? Do you care? I'm just going to say here that this is such a pure example of how derivative Hollywood is. I buy tickets to go to Peru and then Paddington Ah! decides it's going to go to Peru. Come the fuck on. Who are you kidding? I, I don't know, like, Paddington's from Peru. Where where are you from, Ingrid? Yeah, I feel like a colonizer. Los, Los Angeles? 
Is it not? No? I actually am from Los Angeles. Thank I you, know. Drea. Yeah. Yeah, I will. So I, I guess all the movies about people set in Los Angeles are derivative of the Ingu Kang story. That's exactly. how I'm that. Thank you. Yeah. I've always said so. Yeah. I am very excited to see what Paddington outside of that British tweeness will be like. The character descriptions we just got were a father-daughter riverboating duo and a nun in a home for retired bears. I'm not sure what absence of tweeness you're going to get <laughs> from that scenario. No and void well, of cute. I'm, I'm hoping that Olivia Coleman is the Hugh Grant of this movie. Like, you know, they had Nicole oh. Kidman who was the bad guy the first time, and then Hugh Grant, so I, I want it to be Sister Olivia. I just want her character from The Favorite to be the villainous. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and, you know, Ingu, if you, if you want to see some really gorgeous Peruvian uh, location uh, scenery, uh, I would recommend that you check out Transformers Rise of the Beast. <laughs> God. All right. Thank you. I will put that on my list. Get on it. Michael Bay also biting Ingu King. Uh, not, <laughs> did not direct this one, and that's why it's one of the best Transformers movies. I love the first one. I'll say it. I'll say it. Oh, my gosh. Um, speaking, speaking of movies of based movies, on toys. Yes. Oh, I didn't even have that, that sweet addendum. <laughs> Everybody's talking about the French Barbie movie poster. You have almost certainly seen some ads for Greta Gerwig's upcoming highly publicized new Barbie movie. In the U.S., the posters feature Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling and read, She's everything. He's just Ken. Much Ado was made online this week when the internet found out about the French translation of the poster, which conveys a very different message in French slang. Louis c'est juste Ken literally translates to he's just Ken, but colloquially it sounds like he only knows how to fuck. Is this important? Do you care? Fuck with what? <laughs> First off, the presumption that you that sex only involves the undercarriage. Oh, exactly. Yes. How dare you bring that heteronormative bullshit here? <laughs> Genital chauvinist, indeed. Uh, I, I don't I, remember him having a tongue either. So fair. Again, still, I think got all really, those fingers. You're, you're I mean, things. Uh, they're I, stuck together. <laughs> and and. <laughs> Uh, I, I I love that that this was so intentionally done. You know that yeah. somebody in the Warner Brothers French division is like, oh, 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 wait, what if we do this? And they did it. And they were so psyched. Yeah, look, this is how this is this is akin to companies being in on their own memes now. You know, like they they know that it's anything that generates more discussion and conversation and and you know internet, be it backlash or or lash, whatever, um, you know, is gonna is gonna mean more people talking about the movie and more traffic and more hits and more whatever. So yeah, I I think it's it's brilliant and because like it's hard to do something filthy and be able to innocently hide behind the what? what? You read it that way. I mean, it just it says it right there. It's I don't know how it could be yeah. any more straightforward. That's pretty brilliant. It did remind me of something that I just read about where the 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 original title for the South Park musical was something that the MPAA objected to, even though it was pretty like benign. So then they changed it to bigger, longer, and uncut, and they signed <laughs> off on that. 
I will say, even if the movie is not as good as everyone is hoping it will be, the marketing cam- campaign for this movie has been a masterstroke, and mm. whoever is in charge of that publicity campaign re- needs like a huge bonus. Yeah. Indeed. Oh, big time. High five. High five, marketers. <laughs> <laughs> well done, everybody. Party back at the dream house. Uh, all right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be taking a look at past lives. Oh my gosh, hi, it's me, Dave Holmes, host of the pop culture game show, Troubled Waters. On Troubled Waters, we play a whole host of games, like one where I describe a show using limerick, and our guests have to figure out what it is. Let's do one right now. What show am I talking about? This podcast has game after game, and brilliant guests who come play you. The host is named Dave. It could be your fave, so try it. Life won't be the same. Uh, a big business starring Bette Midler and Lily Tomlin. Close, but no. Oh, Is it Troubled Waters, the pop culture quiz show with all your favorite comedians? Yes! Troubled Waters is the answer to this question and all of my life's problems. Now, legally, we actually can't guarantee that. But you can find it on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Alonzo Duraldi. In the studio with me are... Drea Clark. And Ingu Kang. Today's movie is a semi-autobiographical debut feature from writer-director Celine Song, who has spent most of her career as a playwright. It stars Greta Lee, Tao Yu, and John Magaro in a story that spans 24 years. Drea, would you mind giving us a brief synopsis of past lives? All right, so we begin in South Korea years ago, math involved, um, where we meet two young friends, Nora. Well, she wasn't Nora then, but she's Nora as we know her. And Hassung, I'm not saying that correctly, but he's so beautiful. I hope he doesn't hold it against me. Um, they are really good buddies. And he is a very sad little soul when they find out that Nora's family is going to move to North America, um, in part towards the ambitions that this young girl holds as a dreamer and writer and me. And so they're separated. And then we jump through time um, by 12 years and they reconnect over the intranet um, and, and find that they still have a lot of ties betwixt them. And then we jump years again, and that's when uh, Nora is now married to Arthur, another author that she has met. And um, yeah, connections, complications, nuances, swooniness, and a fairy ride. It all happens. Past lives. Right, stuck the landing. Well done. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so, Andrea, uh, where, where did this movie premiere? Oh, it's interesting that you asked that. This was a this was a film at the Sundance Film Festival. I don't know if I've ever mentioned oh. it. This was the number one pick of recommendations I gave for this year. Um, so I've I've certainly been chatting about it for a minute. Thrilled that more people are able to see it now. Greta Lee is uh, really a very fantastic. Y- like burgeoning actress in this. And I loved seeing her and Celine song, as you mentioned is this is a first time filmmaker who has uh, been working as a playwright. And um, yeah, I very, it's a lot of artists that I enjoyed seeing coming together. 
Tell, tell us about that magical first time seeing it on your laptop, which is... <laughs> I was going to say, ooh, if you talk about swooning, have I mentioned my 14-inch MacBook Air <laughs> headphones setup? Which is what the director intended. And, Always. Uh, and seeing it as one of 10 movies you were watching that day, I'm sure. That day, also. yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, no, this, this movie is really uh, extraordinary. I knew Greta Lee from The Morning Show, uh, mm. where she's... You know, had some moments, but like is not one of the hasn't been given a ton of real estate as a character thus far. Uh, but yeah, this you know she really, I mean, really the the all all three of the the leads here, I, I think are are amazing. Um, you know, Ingu, this is a universal story in a lot of ways, but there is a, a specific sort of Koreanness to it, and I'm wondering, is there something specific about the nature of the relationships or the context in which the two of them know each other as younger people that is a thing that would like fly over our heads in terms of not getting the kind of specificity of it i actually don't really think so the only thing that like really stuck out to me was uh there's a sort of like recurring line about nora's ambition Mm. and so we sort of get this like i think jokey explanation of like why the family is moving to North America and it's so that she can win a Nobel Prize in literature. I think she's like 12 at this age. (laughs) It's a joke, yeah. And uh, throughout, she sort of like revises what she's like aiming for because then she's like, well, I don't know, maybe I want like a Tony, maybe I want a Pulitzer. Get in line, girl. I, I, I think like that's sort of like sense of like the underdog and like the inferiority complex, especially in that era of South Korea, that's definitely sort of like a national feature because there's so much being made of like, Korea has never had a author win the Nobel Prize for literature. Um, But I think it's really a pretty universal story about immigration, right? Uh, So much about this movie is about the life you don't get to lead, um, the loves you don't get to experience when you move from one country to another. Obviously not everyone's family immigrates, but I think that that is sort of like a really, I don't think there's anything specifically Korean about it, that. And as long as we're doing Greta Lee performance plugs. I think my first exposure to her was as homeless Heidi in High Maintenance. And that was actually based on a real Korean American tabloid figure from like 15 years ago. Really? Yes. It was about like a woman from, I believe, Utah who like would just sort of like go home with random guys in Brooklyn and all of these guys eventually figured out, oh, she's probably homeless. And that's why she's always like, oh, can I just sleep over at your house? Like, oh, can I just stay like a few more days? Oh, can you like loan me some money? Oh, can you like buy my food? Um, And then High Maintenance made like a whole episode about that. Um, It is brilliant. And she's brilliant in it. I will. I will have to dig that up. Uh, but no, I. I will say that I. Uh, you know, as, as a child of immigrants, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this. Uh, sometimes would think about like, what would my life had been like if my parents had given birth to me, but had never left Spain. You know, like who would I even be? What would my life be like? You know, and so the I think that that is always a, a factor. I mean, here it's very specifically like, what would our life together perhaps have been like? You know, would we have 
would we have gotten tired of each other as teenagers? You know, would we have grown apart anyway? Um, I, I think also what's what's cool about this movie, and, and again, this is a, a probably more for for y'all's generations than mine. I think the the that sudden appearance of the internet. You know, in that it wasn't mm-hmm. something that they had together as kids, but by the time they're in their, you know, like mid twenties, there it is, and we can like we can Skype each other, you know, you know, um, uh, and and so you know th- that that felt like something that was like, okay, this is a this is a specific generation where like they didn't have it, uh, but then they did have it as young adults, where it's like. I got my first lap, my first desktop when I was thirty, so I missed that whole you know thing. I, I it, yeah. For the audience at home, I just like jerked my head back really far. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was like a aspect of the movie I had considered at all, and that actually makes a lot of sense to me. I know I loved that, and it. I actually because you can't really track at the beginning, or I couldn't anyway. What what year it was when they're first moving and so when they first connect um and it's because he's like found her on a facebook page of her dad's who's a who was a a director um i was like oh yeah facebook sure that's that's around that's the thing and then the minute that they skyped i was like oh this was a minute ago like (laughs) oh this was a thing and then the computers they were on like all of those like it just the the technology was a really interesting way to also establish, like, if you were moving now, you could keep in touch with people. Or, yeah. like, you, it wouldn't be so hard to track that. And I think it was really smart to position these moments in time with those technological shifts in that way. Because it, it limited them in a way that was really conducive to storytelling. And so much of this movie about what the, the elements that resonated with me beyond just, like, I'm someone who is always going to love something that's kind of like, oh, poignant and sad. I love that shit. I eat it up like rose water ice cream. <laughs> like, so, but I also love this movie. Is, it's so much about communication. And those moments where she, uh, where the two of them have reconnected and it's all like Skype talks and whatever, that, and it is all those pauses where it's really so hard to be vulnerable and it's so crucial and necessary to move forward. But like, is there anything more painful or horrible or wrenching than putting forth that vulnerability? And she's constantly like, she's just giving him questions. She's like softball lobbing up these things. Like, come on, my guy. Like, why did you, so why did you look for me? Or why do you miss me or whatever? And then to juxtapose that with, the Arthur, the the white man that she ends up meeting and marrying, and that guy is like, oh, here's my heart. Here is my vulnerable heart on a platter. You can have it all the time as raw and whatever. And, and those really slow, nuanced things that come out in how these two couples with the same woman in the center of it communicate and say or what they don't say like that I was oh my god like all of these conversations when you were talking about the emotional contrast I thought the contrast you were going to make was actually in with the scenes of him with his drinking buddies where they just get like I guess this is pretty Korean they just get like completely sloshed they cry at the table they're like very open with each other about like heartbreak and even though they're not you know they're not like 
We've been they're, together mid-Silmore style or anything. But they're, but, oh, they're open, but they're not discussing it. Like, I found it's the mm. whole thing was such an analysis of how men process emotional beats. Right. So, like, those four, the four Korean friends, we see them a couple times, like, supporting each other. Often one of them is crying because he's heartbroken. <laughs> but they are not discussing it. They're not trying to, like work it out or resolve it like they're not doing what like the stereotypical female huddle might look like they're doing something else which in their way is processing it but i'm like oh men if only they could just (laughs) unlock the power of discussion men would rather cry in front of their friends than go to therapy yeah Uh, just drunk as hell i did notice that they were pouring their own soju and i thought i learned in return to soul that you don't pour your own soju so now i don't know what to believe anymore it's up down (laughs) it's the sky blue is lying to me is that what's happening so can we do a pivot where (laughs) i say it's gonna break me so i'm glad that this movie exists i'm glad we are at a place in our independent cinema or whatever uh where a movie like this can come out and have a release um it's just like did that really work for me i I think it was like a little slow and I think it was it just like reminded me of so many other movies that I liked more it reminded me of The Farewell which is also a movie about what you miss out on when you immigrate it reminded me of In the Mood for Love and that a lot of like the central quote-unquote romance is about these two people looking at each other and wanting to say things and not saying things and just like looking and looking and just like being too afraid to like do anything uh but i think that movie has a sort of like lushness that makes up for that emotional stiltedness that like this one doesn't the other movie it reminds me a lot of is before sunrise and i think the reason why this movie doesn't really work for me but you can sort of tell has an autobiographical element to it is that the primary central female character our protagonist fascinating every other character in this movie is sort of like barely there you're crazy You're crazy. Alonzo, we invite this woman to another home. (laughs) And we know this is exactly what we're getting. This is the thing. We we knew from all the other visits to our home. And and we invited her again. I know her well. And I'm like, why? Why does the the spot, the leopard eating spot keep eating my leopard? Uh, Whatever that is. My face, yes. No, uh, I I grant you that it does. Those other movies are definitely in the, the, the swirl of what this is. But I think there's something else going on here as well. I think there is something very specific about the, you know, like in the mood for love is about this palpable longing. And here it's like the idea of, is there longing? Do we know if there's longing? We have to sort of actually be physically in the same space to even kind of dance around the idea of there, whether or not there is longing, you know? And I think that then you have the, the husband character who is fascinating because he completely understands his role here because they are writers and they understand how narrative works and how drama works. He knows what character that he is, that what role has been thrust upon him. I'm the guy getting in the way of all of this longing. I'm the guy getting in the way of this. What would be an, if you guys got together would be this amazing anecdote of like, we were, we knew each other when we were 12 and then, you know, the Facebook and then years later, blah, blah, blah. And, and dealing with that and coping with that and, and be, being like, I'm not going to just be 
the shitty white villain here. I'm I, I'm I'm gonna be a, a, a sensitive human being about this situation. I found that really interesting. That whole like line or whatever drove me insane because the main character and the white husband actually have like an incredible love story in themselves, and the fact that the guy does not seem to realize that sort of made me think: Are you just like a bad writer that you don't understand that you also have like oh, a I'm really sorry. Have you never met a neurotic, insecure writer? <laughs> what, girl? I, I, I agree. Like, I found the husband's character. I was, as you know, absolutely in love with her Korean childhood friend and great child. I mean, as an adult, no, not as a child. As a yes, I'm sorry, as an adult. <laughs> to be clear. Would follow him to the ends of the earth. One of the most beautiful men I've ever seen. Thank you for making his face enormous on a screen and on my laptop. <laughs> um, and, and I also got like the idea of someone who maybe like there there are cultural nods to the choices he's making that are not things that I recognize in terms of oh I feel like I need to be more established before I get married and like living with the parent like there's things he is working through and constricted by but also just the fact that he is drawn to her and their story and also does open up in the way that he he does of the poking at the there's something here that's kind of magical and unique and we're actually talking about it because when does that ever happen? Like, I loved that. But Arthur, or the white husband, as like everyone will should and does know him as, um, I that guy, the fact, I loved that they had this very long conversation in the middle that, that explored all of those nuances. Normally I'm like, oh, there's so much there and we never hear from like, the husband, like his thoughts in it. And this was something that I was riveted by all of the conversations, like Celine's song background as a playwright to me was coming out in droves of, of what her dialogue was getting at with these characters and with him vocalizing both seeing the kind of oh, butterflies and flowers of, of their unique story, but also those very real things that you have, like the, the power structure in relationships shifts all the time. Like, and for him, for someone who's sort of obviously kind of in this moment, maybe always or currently idolizing his wife or, or admiring her in a way that he is always wondering if she's reciprocating like that, that felt so recognizable to me and to have it vocalized and explored and then returned like between the two of them it felt like genuine intimacy and genuine exploration of character i think there is like a clever in the version that the movie does in that the presence of this korean guy this asian guy makes her white husband feel emasculated mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. and i was like okay like cool um yeah because the white guy is like shorter he's less fit like he's you know it's a nice you don't it's it is an inversion that's a great i didn't pick up on that at all yeah i hadn't thought about it but, but i think that like there were just like a little bit too many moments for me where she would say something and it would just be telling not showing like a really good example of this is like after she meets him in person, you know, they sort of like have this like long date together and then she goes back to her husband and she says, oh, he's so Korean in his convictions. And I was like, okay, like name them. This is like why I felt like the 
character was underwritten because I wanted to know like where were the moments of friction, not just like the moments of like what、mm. could have been, but like what were precisely the moments where she was sort of like, oh, maybe like this guy isn't quite as I would hope, or maybe immigration changed me enough that like I no longer am the. Person that I would have been if I had grown up in Korea. Or in that moment, she wants to tell her husband that、uh, you know to to, to not、exactly. sort of unpack all the things that she is feeling and and is just sort of giving him a kind of pat answer that he'll be happy with. I think one of Song's great talents here is that yes, she, she, you know, as a coming to this as for the playwriting background, she writes terrific dialogue, but she also knows how to direct great silences. Mm. When people aren't talking, there's so much significant things that are happening between them,、uh, and I, I think that 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 I love the fact that the movie embraces those moments of quiet and those un those nonverbal moments that I think wind up being some of the most revelatory in the film. I mean, that, all of that's fine, but if we had gotten in like different scenes of the movie, what the stuff she was actually talking about were, then it would have just like. Like fleshed out that character for me. Otherwise, it just he just sort of feels to me like a symbol of her life that she could have had in Korea, but just like doesn't quite feel like a real person to me in the way that like the white husband felt like a real person. I will also say very quickly before our producer shuts us off. That Celine Song has a different play called Endlings, and in that there is a character that is explicitly named White Husband. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, all right、yeah. then. <laughs> all right, vote, vote. Uh, so Ingu, you know this very well, but I'll just remind you that on this program,、uh, we rate films either as a screen it, a stream it, or a skip it, and you don't have to be literal about that in this age of streaming. Just you know, it's basically best medium.、Eh. You know, I say screen it. I, like I said, the movie doesn't quite hit for me, but it is again the kind of movie that I think I'm just glad it exists, and I think that it has a lot more visual sense than I was、uh, expecting from a playwright.、Um, I there were just like shots and sort of like these like delays of visual information that I thought were really. Beautiful and sort of like in this nice like pas de deux with the viewer, and so it was just like a movie that rewards careful attention. That I think is just like a lot easier to do when you are in that movie theater as opposed to being at home and sort of like surrounded by thirty-seven other things you need to do. By thirty-seven cats, I am no surprise. Also, a screen it. My surprise came that when I went back and saw this in the theater,、um, I still cried heavily for like the last ten minutes, and I think that that to me was like a perfect encapsulation of the strengths of this film. That all of the emotional power of it is, it's it's like you are processing those things yourself. So I had this like. Uh, I've not been in her exact scenario by any means, but I felt that same like grandiose, swirling emotion where things feel like overwhelming, and it's not bad, and it's not good. It's just so much feeling, and、uh, any filmmaker that can coax that out of you at the Grove Theater、uh, <laughs> gets a screen it from me. 
Uh, yeah, I'm I'm also a screen it really for the same reasons that Ingu said, although I like the movie, I think, much more than she did. It is the kind of movie that has so many like little things happening that you really want to have it overwhelm you. You want it to be larger than your field of vision and in a dark room and with where presumably people have their phones off and stuff. So, yeah, uh Go and drink it all in. I want to give a shout out to Shabir Kirchner, who shot the film, who also did Skate Kitchen and also did all of the uh, Steve McQueen small axe movies. Uh, this is a great looking New York movie. Um, and, you know, I mean, uh, with a, a few shots of it look being a, a great looking soul movie. Uh, so, yeah, uh, this was uh, I, I definitely. And the great looking be- Skype movie. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Skype always looks great. You really Which there's doesn't nothing, that look nothing good? you can do to it to really take away from that grandeur. Um, so yeah, this is I think a movie that we're going to be seeing a lot on top ten lists at the end of the year, and I'm glad that we got to talk about it. Uh, we'll be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Jay Keith, do you know what I love more than the trivia, comedy, and celebrity guests on our podcast, Go Fact Yourself? No, what, Helen? Sharing all of those things with an actual audience. A live audience. Woohoo! Well, lucky for you listeners, Go Fact Yourself has brand new episodes featuring live audiences cheering on guests every month. And we still have all of our Zoom episodes with contestants and experts from around the world. We can truly have it all. Yay! You can hear it all twice a month, every month, on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, no excuses. So if you're not listening, you can go fact yourself. Welcome back to Maximum Film. I'm your host, Alonzo Duraldi. In the studio with me are... Ingu Kang. Drea Clark. There are many emotional and philosophical details of the human experience on display in past lives. Also on display, something much less important, slightly outdated tech. In the scenes from 12 years ago, every Facebook screenshot and Skype ringtone is a blast from our collective recent past. where We did things just a little differently. What's some outdated technology that warms your heart when you see it in films or television? Or is there some device you remember that you'd like to see in a movie, but almost never do? Thoughts? I want to shout out that if he's not here, the one who probably cares more about tech than all of us combined. (laughs) Um, When I, because I am not a a tech person, I'm a, a begrudgingly... Like, I'll keep my phone as long as it works until it, like, absolutely... Because I, I really resent that they make me get new phones every couple of years. I would keep the same one for 20 years if I could. But I weirdly... I think this counts as tech. Um, every time they show that yellow, like, sports Walkman... From, oh, right. <laughs> uh, like, like, a cassette-playing yellow... I don't know if it's waterproof or if it was just, like, the... This is the workout one, but I was like, oh, yeah. You oh, that was sweat on it. <laughs> yeah, I took. I did not sweat on it, but was that my buddy on many a bus ride to and from school? Sure was. <laughs> sure was. That's a time travel device, right there. I had a disc man that would skip approximately every four seconds. Of yes. course. Yeah. <laughs> you mean you had a disc man? Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> oh, they just called them disc man. Yeah. <laughs> You, I'd always For had sure. them horizontal, like oh. you could never 
It can never adjust. Put it on a pillow. Discs, Um, how stupid. A a friend of mine is rewatching the um, Mission Impossible movies because we have the new one coming out soon. And just a reminder, the first Mission Impossible came out 27 years ago. Shut shut your mouth. Yeah. The tech in that movie is zip discs. They are they are chasing zip disks in that movie. No, that's yes. what the knock list is on. Uh, I think so. Yes, because you know they 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 hold a full hundred megs. You know. I'm sorry. <laughs> what is a zip disk? Uh, I don't even remember. They were no. they they were like they were about the size of like a floppy disk, but they were thicker, and you know the, you had a whole separate zip drive that you attached, and it just held a bunch more data than like the little standard plastic discs that you would be you know taking in and out of your of were your. Were these like the square so plastic were, ones? Yeah, they were square, and they like the metal thing that slid yeah, aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Red. Yeah, zip discs. Um, so he he says, yeah, this is going to be a journey of like outdated <laughs> technology. Now, I, I mean, I love to see like really old school analog stuff. Like give, give me a movie with a teletype or a telex or like a, a, a type, like um, movable typeset, like that scene in Citizen yeah. Kane where they have the two headlines and it's like, you know, Kane win. Kane wins election or uh, fraud at polls, you know, and they, there's actually like a typeset sheet to make those on. That's the shit I live for. I wish I had a cool type one. Now I'm like, oh, why? I led with a, a yellow Walkman. <laughs> Typewriters in movies, you know, like yeah. the one that Jack Nicholson has in The Shining. Those are always. Oh, those yeah, are yeah, pretty yeah. Rad. Ding those through. Oh, Any and pneumatic of- tubes. Oh, a pneumatic too. Is there anything in this world more satisfying? One of the things that I love about the John Wick movies is those those suicide girls running the office, yep. you know, with all their tattoos. But all of the office machine is like 1964. Yep. So it's all pneumatic tubes and like, you know, typewriters and Rolodexes and uh, I, anything. For zero you, reason. Yeah, yeah, of course not. Yeah, for no reason at all, except it looks cool. It does. You I know do what like, also oh, looks cool? What? A phone with a cord. Uh, and I know that sounds so stupid, but I feel like I have so no. many memories of talking to my friends when I was like a teenager and just like curling that stupid yes. cord around my hand. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it just like sort of made me remember that talking to friends on the phone used to have like a tactile element to it. And sometimes you would grip it really hard. Sometimes you would just like finger it. Sorry. You can't slam down a cell phone. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah. and, same effect. Yeah, I was just like, oh. And like now, weirdly, we have these like phone cordy scrunchies all over again. <gasps> so that then you can finger that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, it was just sort of like, oh, I don't know why this exists, but I'm really glad like this dumb piece of plastic has come back into my life. <laughs> but it's not, it's the tangibleness, but also with the the plugged in phone, it was h- how far you could get it. Yes. Right. Like you could only have private conversations in certain rooms and they don't have like, you have everything from like way back in the day, like pillow talk, like mm-hmm. Doris Day stuff, but even to Mississippi Masala, like you have these great phone conversations oh, in right. film. Yeah. Nobody's having those on a cell phone. Okay. Someone's going to prove me wrong almost immediately. <laughs> I just, I said that with so much assuredness. I was like, oh no, someone's going to screenshot something. But they're not almost. the same. Yes. You do occasionally get the, the split screen cell phone conversation, but it just lacks that certain, you know, like, cause you are, you're, you're, 
people wanting to connect and you're pinned in different places. Yes. You're separated. Yeah. Yeah. The landline, you know, uh, limits you to a geographic location. Yeah. Whereas the cell phone, you can be anywhere. Speaking of being forced into a specific room, I never particularly had this, but I feel like the family computer in the living room used to be a thing. And I cannot believe that more people haven't made like scenes hinge on that uh, weird there, there's an entire movie about this actually it was the the, the woman who Jillian Robespierre who did um, yeah uh, obvious child obvious child. child her second film I think was called Landline or something and it was about the one shared family computer and like that's how somebody figures out the dad is having an affair or something I forget the specifics but the shared family computer plays a key role in that movie I will have to check it out but also I would like to see more of that because I feel like that was a real phenomenon. That was a thing in like Pen 15, I remember. Mm. We did not have a shared family computer in the Clarks, which is more a mark of my age and less of our socio economic uh, demographic. First, first desktop at 30, ladies. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 <laughs> and, and I, no, I'll tell you, I, there, many is the time that I am so relieved that my every little thought in the world did not get captured oh. onto the World Wide Web when I was a teenager or even in my 20s. Constantly counting my blessings <laughs> for that. Good Lord. Uh, but yeah, I do think that, I mean, like, it's not just Wes Anderson. I think that filmmakers know that there's an instant, like, oh, when you see this kind of thing in a movie whether it's like stuff from your childhood or even stuff from like just before your childhood that you just kind of know by osmosis you know but like you know when i was a kid we still had dial phones you know so so seeing that in a movie just like an immediate that's, that's yeah. my that's my proust madeline right there you know i yeah. think there was a very brief period in our house where we had a rotary phone mm. but i don't need to see that i just want the cord, just the cord. <laughs> you don't care how it dials just want to see the cord <laughs> I'm imagining like you know, like in, in, in the, the that number in Bye Bye Birdie where she's like lying on the floor and like yep. she, her feet are crossed above her head and she's just like twirling the cord and yeah it's a whole it's a, you 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 paint a real mental image there. Bingo. Or probably Clarissa explains it all. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Let's get the aesthetic right. <laughs> Hers involved a lot more baby tees and chokers. <laughs> or a Krebs star phone from Pete and Pete. All right. Well, listen, I, 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 is this Marissa's question? Did it come from a listener? Yeah. It, it was a good one. Thank you, Marissa. Uh, and it is that time where we give our staff picks. It could be any movie, um, new, old, in between. Uh, who would like to kick us off? I'm very excited about my staff pick for this week. Ooh. Um, it is an animated film that comes out. I uh, believe the day of this uh, episode on Netflix, the old flicks to net. It is called Nimona. Um, one of the co-writers is Pamela Ribbon, who was a oh. guest of ours when we talked about Petite Maman. Um, and she, of course, was Oscar nominated this year for her short animated piece, My Year of Dicks. Shut up, one. Should have won. But Nimona is so fantastic. And from a few years ago, people might remember one of the earlier Disney upri uprisings about not wanting to support uh, queer filmmaking. This is a film that got shelved because of it and ended up moving to Annapurna, which started a whole animation wing. And I'm glad they did. It stars Riz Ahmed and Chloe Grace Moretz. And mm. Riz Ahmed plays... Uh, a gay knight in a sort of science fantasy and um, he and his part 
partner, lover, whatever. I don't more like lover. I just don't like saying that word. <laughs> was played by Eugene Lee Young, who, Yang, who was a try guy. So also don't, don't blame me for that. But he's great. Um, so it's wonderful. What faces to hide behind animation? I'm sorry, but like what? no, I know, right? How do you have <laughs> such an attractive cast? How dare you? Um, but no, it's it's so great, and it turns a lot on its head in terms of expectation. It has a that kind of poignant, uh, heart-wrenching thing that a lot of animated films do, but I think it's really sort of pushing the edges of, of what both animation is, but also what this kind of storytelling can do when it comes to embracing uh, your darker sides, your evil bits, all of that. So, Nimona, check it out. I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. Does it help you to say the word lava? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That yeah. word bumps me out unless it's, it's between it's, the word meat and pizza. Meat pizza. Yes, girl. <laughs> or That's if, a dirty rock line. It's not it, me. Yeah. Or if it's that, that sketch that uh, Will Ferrell used to do. You know. Nothing caps off a day of skiing better than a warm fire, a cup of mulled wine, and the heat projected from my lover's loin space. <laughs> Nature hath no hotter furnace, eh, lover? Uh, you go yes. on lovers' walks. Yes, uh, Inga, what do you got? So, based on past lives, I was gonna initially go with the farewell, and then I was gonna go with Joyride, which I have now seen twice. I think it's fantastic, but you know what? Joyride has like a marketing campaign behind it. So, <laughs> um, and I we actually, will be discussing that in a few weeks. Yes, we will. Fun fact. So, I watched a comedy special uh, today, and it's just like move those other suggestions like off of the list for me. My uh, staff pick is a stand-up special by John Early called Now More Than Ever. I think it came out this month. Um, I really like John Early as a comedic presence in Search Party. If you sort mm. of like take his character there, and just like make him a little bit more sweaty and make him more alternative and also make him sing. He, it, this is like what this special is. Like John Early sings and then it just sort of like goes on in this like really manic way about like the ennui of modern existence, like both in meat space and online. And it was just sort of like, watching what like the next thing of like comedy is probably going to be it just like feels really accessible well accessible if you're sort of like a i don't know like a hipster urban like pop culture obsessed that's how i describe you person (laughs) yeah but uh yeah i he's really got like a voice on him i feel like i laughed aloud at like many of his jokes and very, very, very few comedy specials since, honestly, like, the pandemic have, I think, like, been stellar. And this year especially has been kind of like a grim year so far for specials. And this one just, like, gave me so much joy and also just, like, reached into, like, that's the sadder parts of my life and just, like, made me think, oh, yeah. I hate that too. Thanks for bringing that up. 
So, you know, what else could you want from a comedy special? Truly. Because that Shared hatred. Th- those thoughts I know are so far from, you know, the, the, the front of your mind. You, know, you really <laughs> got to be reminded of the stuff that you just <laughs> like. Uh, uh, did you say meat space? Did yes. I, is, yes, she did. Fr- is this a phrase I missed? Okay. It sounded so right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Great. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> I, I will say John Early did... Um, Apparently, uh, uh, spearheaded the the move to restore the movie Clockwatchers, uh, which is a film that I love, and it's now streaming in like all the places. So, if if that is thanks to him, thank you, John Early. But my uh, staff pick this week is a new documentary that is at least in New York and L.A. and probably making its way around. It's called Desperate Souls: Dark City and the Legend of Midnight Cowboy. And um, it is a making of Midnight Cowboy, but it is not like your standard sort of DVD fare. It is a really beautifully edited uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, essay film really about not just Midnight Cowboy, but the context that it came up in, in terms of what was happening in Hollywood, what was happening with queer rights. You have this gay filmmaker coming in and making a film that is not a, a specifically queer film, but is very much a movie about, you know, two men learning to be tender and to care, you know, for each other. Um, you know, you have the whole backdrop of urban blight and Vietnam and all these other things that are happening. And um, the film does a really great job in an impressionist way of kind of weaving together these various ideas. And so you do get some talking heads from people like John Voight and Jennifer Salt, who's in the movie and whose father, Waldo Salt, wrote the film. Uh, but, you know, you also get all this sort of like other kind of news footage and stuff. And, you know, people talking about the fact that before Midnight Cowboy, people just didn't shoot on location in cities that much. Like yeah. New York made it really complicated to shoot there. And so most times that you saw like a New York movie, it was a backlot somewhere. Um, so this was a movie that was really kind of taking you into like what these decrepit buildings, you know, really looked like and that kind of thing. But it just, you know, there's a, there's a lot happening here. And, and I, I, I see a lot of movies like this, and I think this is a really special one. So, yeah, check it out. Desperate Souls, Dark City, and uh, the making, sorry, and the legend of Midnight Cowboy, which is Zeitgeist and uh, Kino Lorber, are releasing uh, hopefully somewhere near you. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you, Ingu Kang. We love you. We miss you. We're so glad that you're back. We just epi- we just had our 300th episode. I don't know if you tuned in. Congratulations. And thank you. And we were, you know, you definitely are are one of the architects of this program. So we're we're always thrilled to have you back. Where can folks find your stuff and hear from you online? Uh, I am on Twitter. I guess is like a site we still kind of use mm. at Ingu Kang. Um, and you can find my writing at thenewyorker.com. And if you feel like, I don't know, supporting some really great journalism and criticism and fiction and puzzles and whatever else, maybe, I don't know, subscribe. Subscribe to the Listen, print edition they, of The New Yorker. They'll never stack up on you before you can get them read. Yeah. <laughs> They have a they have a deal on digital going recently. Make know, your friends think you're it. smart. That's yes. right. Yes, journalism only survives when when folks pay for it. So that that is you know surprise surprise New Yorker subscribe to your local newspaper like throw somebody some money. Those paywalls are there for a reason, y'all. Uh, Drea, as always, uh, a delight. Thank you for another great show. Next week, we're tackling our listener picked movie from this year's Max Fun Drive. You will not guess what it is. We will reveal that to you next Friday, but 
trust me, you Evil. are not gonna you are not gonna guess what it is. It, it's um, yeah, it's it'll it, it'll be a hell of a conversation. That much it's I can movie. promise you. It is so a movie. So come back for that. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at maximum underscore film. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com slash groups slash Maximum Film or send us an email at MaximumFilm at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.